Hi, everybody. This is your host, Ben Klenner, and welcome to The Probiotic Life. This podcast is where we explore the intricate relationships between human health, soil health, and ecological systems. Join me now for another exploratory conversation on the probiotic life. Thanks for joining me today. How cool is that music? I wanted to give a shout out to Music Goals from Vancouver, BC. That's the production and scoring company uh, that did that for me. Uh, I'll just read a little bit about them because uh, I think it's really cool. I just wanted to give them um, a bit of credit for that, you know. Uh, so it's Max and Dan, and they've been performing and recording music for the, a majority of their adult lives. Uh, music Goals prides itself on creating any genre of music for their clients. Check them out at musicgoals.ca. That's musicgoals.ca. So my first guest today is Faye Akaro. And we talk about all sorts of things, but the main sort of topics are uh, bugs in the garden, recycling, repurposing, and creating um, and inspiring, sharing, and connecting with people. So uh, we don't really get into microbes so much, which uh, is what I want to really do a lot with this po- program is get into microbes. But uh, Faye is a fount of knowledge, and she's also uh, has a show on a local radio station here, Curtin FM. And so I thought that she would be able to help me carry the first interview in terms of I haven't really done this before, and she she was just a legend when we when we um, uh, met to interview. She showed me all around her garden. Uh, she uh, yeah, there was so many cool things in her garden. She just uh, showed me all the different fungi and everything. And when we sat down to do the interview, I was getting really nervous. I was like, oh, you know, like I haven't done this before, and I uh, hope this goes well. Uh, I'm pretty nervous. She's like, well, would you like a glass of wine? And I said, sure, why not? So uh, thanks, Faye, for that. And thanks for being such a great um, interviewee, a a great guest. So Faye's got a couple of pages, uh, Facebook pages, uh, Botanic Obsession, which is her one about all all about her garden. Uh, Then she's got one called Insects of Perth and Southwest WA um, because she's really into her bugs. And then she's got one specifically, um, it's called Native Bees of WA. So check those ones out. Uh, Those are the ones that she's created um, and curates. And so I'll link to those in the show notes. Um, And for now, let's get going on the show. I guess one other thing is that there's a few audio glitches in this first recording, but I am doing my best to uh, continually improve. And yeah, give me a bit of feedback. Let me know what you think. And uh, without further ado, here's the interview with Faye Akaro. Welcome to the show, Faye Akaro. Thank you, Ben. Lovely to be here. Yes, that was many years ago, perhaps even 10 years ago. I believe it was 10 years ago. Yeah, that's when I first moved back to Australia. 
Oh, that's when it all started. Um, we opened up the aquaponic shop and since then I had seven years of growing fish and veggies in the backyard. And then I returned or retired to my garden to restore it to its former glory because in 2007 I won the Gardener of the Year Award and the garden looked magnificent. Uh, we'd also had a wedding here and over the years and working full-time with Backyard Aquaponics, the garden tended to take a back step. And then after seven years, I decided that it was time to get back into it, restore the garden to the vision that I had for it originally uh, and get back to growing my fruit and veggies. And since then, I've probably been seduced by the natives and learnt more about our own bushland and the wildflowers and the inhabitants that live out there. Yeah, well... Um you gave me quite an in-depth tour of your place and I really appreciate that. That was um, fun to just walk around and you have so much variety in your garden, all the different areas. Um, I love, you know, your veggies and what you've got going on there, but you've got lots of natives too. Do you want to um, share uh, with us a little bit about what you've got going with the natives? Yes, it's probably a couple of years now that I've been more involved with native plants and it was about just over a year ago when I joined the Wildflower Society because I realised how little I knew about our plants and watching what we have in our bush here, as I showed you out there, there's two acres of natural bushland and we have about 30 different native orchids out there. Now, five years ago, I didn't even know that. So I've been on a bit of a mission to find what native plants are growing in there and to start growing them closer to the house so that I can watch them and also watch the visitors that come to them, the pollinators, the predators and the parasites. Yeah, you were showing me some of the things in the bug hotel, all the different um, kinds that are growing in there. And I'm getting excited about doing one of those with my son now. Well, I know. I mean, you know, over the years we've learned about growing veggies and fruit trees and we get better at doing that as time goes on generally. And then growing fish and veggies, that was a huge learning curve. And at that time I started to learn more about the bugs and also I got a pocket digital camera. So I started taking more photos and I really started to, to see and appreciate the, the beauty of bugs up close and that's something I want to share with people. But watching what goes on out in the bush and realising that there are so many things out there that have probably always been there that we didn't know about and being able to capture them through the lens of a macro camera yeah. and bring it to the world is just incredible. So now what I haven't told you, Ben, the two native bees that I knew we had, the leaf cutter and the blue banded bee, have now expanded or exploded and we have identified 31 native bees on our property here. Oh, now, wow. And that's yeah. in two years. Yeah. So just imagine what I've missed. So what's in the bee hotels are one thing but 70% of our native bees are ground nesting. So they're wow, out okay, there yeah. living in in just sand. So it makes me think twice about what I'm doing and adding mulch to everything because really our native plants don't need that and neither do our native bees. Yeah, wow. And and like you said, you do have a lot of, uh, of native bushland out there. Uh, what do you notice is the... Um, 
the sort of the, the native ha- habitat, can you describe for us what that looks like to people who aren't in Australia or aren't in Western Australia? Well, on our property, we have a Banksia woodland and they are becoming more and more endangered as habitats are cleared. But we have a lot of uh, Banksias, at least three different types that I'm aware of. And there are understory plants. And what is really funny about our native plants, the way they acclimatise, they'll slow right down in winter and almost, not in winter, sorry, in summer, they almost close down. They go to sleep and they just hang in there. So they don't look too flash, but they're survivors. And so when the rains come, they perk back up again. They get their vigour, they green up and they burst into flower, which is amazing. So there is always something in flower in our bushland. But you ask, what does it look like? Well, one of the important things about that bushland is the way the bush regenerates. And over the last six months particularly, I've noticed the banksias dropping branches First of, the, first of all, they'll weep and then they'll just drop and split yeah. in a wind. Yeah. But then what happens, the leaves will fall off and so that's creating a layer of leaf litter. The bandicoots, which are our native marsupials, they go in and they dig around, they create pockets, the leaves fall into that, they decompose. We get little underground truffles like I showed you yeah. earlier, little pink truffle. Well, that's bandicoot food. But then the the tree branches and logs, they start to colonise with things like fungi and the mycelium spreads through the trees and the branches to break it down and then when the rains come, they burst into flower and we get an opportunity to photograph it. So some of the tree trunks out there I've been watching for three years and one of the branches or trunks I showed you earlier, we saw three or four different types of fungi on it. Yeah, and that was a banksia, wasn't it? That was a banksia. Yeah, so it's it's interesting to uh, see all that different life come up, especially when the rains come, because you could be mistaken in the WA bushland that there's not much going on, and especially, especially in these the uh, banksia um, woodland there, the forest there, that... It just looks pretty dead sometimes, you know, especially in, like you said, in the in the summertime where everything is very dry, not much green at all, um, but you're discovering all these different things in there. Exactly. And, yeah, that just puts a smile on my face because when I give talks to different groups, I, I actually tell them about how to see things. So when you go for a bushwalk, it's one foot in front of the other and you're covering distance. Well, I don't do that. It's one foot in the front of the other and then I stop and I scan. Mm. So I'm looking up and down a tree trunk. I'm looking for different colours on the forest floor. If I see something that's orange, I'll move in for a closer look. If I see a bird or something moving at a distance, the first thing I do, and it's my tip, for you now, get that shot. Because you don't know whether that, whatever it is you've seen, is still going to be there. And the number of times I've moved in too quickly and frightened off my portrait specimen and disappointed myself. So rule number one, get the shot. Because then you can move in slowly, but you've already got a a starting point Mm. for how to identify that whatever it is, bird, lizard, insect, 
who knows? Well, sometimes it might be fungi and it won't go anywhere. So you've got plenty of time. A great macro shot on that, yeah. (laughs) But you, you also want the big picture because scale is a very important thing. So when we're looking at native orchids, for example, a lot of the magnificent photos that we see on Facebook, perhaps, you don't see the scale. And when I found snail orchids here, I was expecting something much bigger, but I'd bent down to take a photo and because I was at ground level, I could actually see these two little what looked like antennae sticking up and I saw a whole patch of snail orchids. Now, they were only about 10 millimetres high. Yeah, wow. Oh, 10 centimetres. 10, 10 centimetres, 10 centimetres. Yeah. But very small. And so from the top, they actually looked like blowfly grass. So... There's a lot of camouflage going right, on out there. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, if you're stopping and you're scanning a tree trunk, you might see movement. You might see something buzzing from side to side, scanning the bark mm-hmm. and looking for a space. Yep. It could be a predatory wasp looking for a, a bee nest to lay its own eggs into, or it could be a lizard. Uh, we get the bearded dragons here. We also get dugites. But they're pretty shy, and usually they and turn the, the ju- other way. Ju- so the local snakes, aren't they? Yes, yeah. But we get legless lizards too. Yeah. So it's a bit scary when people want to try and kill anything that they fear, when in fact they could be quite harmless. And the dugites will tend to go the other way. Yeah. Yep. I remember walking around Bibra Lake and um, uh, going same thing. Actually, stopping and seeing. I was looking for some fungi there too. Um, can't remember exactly when it was, but I saw saw a dugite and my son was with me. So, you know, he's three years old. Was he excited or scared? Oh, it, we, it just sort of slithered off in the bush. Mm. But I was like different than when I wouldn't, when, you know, didn't have kids. And I was like, there's snakes around here and I want to protect my child. You know, mm. you can understand that people want to keep their kids safe. Then it's a really good point. But I think we were brought up to fear things um, that can be harmful. In fact, a lot of overseas tourists are scared to come to Australia because, you know, it's this deadly snake. But I've never seen a redback spider jump out and surprise someone and bite them or a dugite for that matter. And I think of the times when I've been out in the bush, I don't think I've surprised any lizard by standing on it. Like they're quite aware of our presence and they absolutely go Mm. the other way. But if I do see them, I do, once again, move in slowly to try and get a photo. But I don't threaten them. The same as I give them respect for things like wasps. Yeah. Can you tell us why is it important to um, take note and, and... the you know this is the probiotic life so it's all about life it's about getting it reconnected to nature and um, how we're connected to na- nature can you share a little bit about uh, why is it important to have native insects around and, and why do we need biodiversity good point because certainly when i was talking about wasps i know a lot of people fear them but when i get asked is there such thing as a bad wasp well That was something I researched on Google some time ago. And what I discovered from my perspective is that they're all beneficial. Yes, they can sting people, Mm -hmm. but generally that happens 
if you're moving in, threatening or disturbing their nest. Same as bees and a beehive. The European honeybees protect their honey. So you move into their space, they see you as a threat, they're going to defend themselves. Mm -hmm. Those European bees also get quite angry on cloudy days and if anyone's wearing perfume. So there's another tip. But I've observed uh, paper wasp nests up close. And when I say that, I mean about uh, 25 centimetres. And we look at each other, but we give each other reasonable distance Mm -hmm. and respect. And I'm not going in there and threatening them. I'm not turning on the flash on my camera to take their photo. That would be like a red flag to them. So I'll take a photo without the flash and I always thank them. (laughs) I know you probably think that's funny, but I spend quite a bit of time with dragonflies and beneficial insects. So if they hang around long enough and give me all these different poses, I always thank them when I finished and before I move away. But these bugs are pollinators. They, particularly with the native orchids, there are special relationships and special native bees that are required to pollinate. And there's some fantastic evidence of different orchids that will mimic oh, different, different wasps to get them attracted. They'll give off a scent that might be like a, a male and so the female comes in, next thing the trigger on the back of its head hits the wasp. So it's attracted it to the plant to get what it needs, oh, which wow. is pollen from yeah. another plant. Yeah. So there's there's lots of things like that. But with our veggie and our food growing, we need to get those pollinators to come in. So if we can understand what the blue-banded bees are attracted to because they're very good at buzz, buzz pollinating our plants for things like tomatoes and chilies and eggplant, for mm-hmm. example. So if you plant blue flowering plants around your veggie patch, things like borage, uh, ageratum, uh, lavenders, rosemary, there's all manner of things that will come in because you've got the plants there. And not only the pollinators, but predators and parasitic wasps do a fantastic job. A lot of people don't like caterpillars, but the wasps will collect the caterpillars after patrolling all around the plants and take the caterpillars to provision their nests for their young. Mm -hmm. So it's amazing. There's so many interactions. So you're creating a whole uh, ecosystem of life. It's not just growing something in isolation. It's creating everything together, which works better as an ecosystem. And you know what? It always has been there. But we haven't always known. And that's that's the beauty of this sort of thing. I, I love teaching children, but I love showing adults who may be 60, 70, 80 and even 90 years of age things that they have not seen before. Mm-hmm. It's great to uh, see someone when they discover something or realise something, isn't it? fantastic to see uh, when I when I worked with kids just to see their eyes light up when they see worms you know or whatever it is it's like um, it's a fulfilling experience to, yep. to be part of that and to see that in older people and I remember one of the first times I recognized this was when we were at the royal show with an aquaponic display and there were 
retired people, older people bending down, looking in the clear screen at the fish with that childlike excitement. Yeah. It's just, it's an incredible thing to see older people get excited yeah. in a childlike yeah. way. So you you were doing aquaponics for seven years. What what sort of um, got you moved or moved you your interest from aquaponics into insects and, and native insects and well, it was while I was doing aquaponics um, because everything I was dealing with in an aquaponic system was at a raised height. I saw a lot more. So mm-hmm. so lettuces, uh, I was growing cannas in raised beds or the arrowroot, edible arrowroot. Yeah. Um, and I started to be more aware of things. So when plants or herbs start to die down and they're past their best, they're often open to predators and pests. So things like aphids would move in. Well, having not removed those plants straight away, it wasn't long before the ladybirds moved in for the aphids. So, of course, Mm -hmm. I then didn't want to get rid of those infested plants because I loved watching the predators come in and their life cycle started. So, the ladybirds would be mating and they'd be laying eggs and the eggs would hatch out and we would have larvae which then go and eat the aphids and then the larvae would pupate and I've actually got time-lapse photography of a pupa emerging as an adult ladybird and the spots developing. So, you know, this is where photography comes in. The more I learn about photography, the more I can video these sorts of events and share them with other people. So that the aquaponics really um, brought the the ground level up to you so you could observe more and then you were able to, uh, well, notice what was going on. Well, that was a big part of it. But also I saw how people were in such a hurry for things to happen. Mm -hmm. And one of my lessons to people then was to have patience and Mm. stand back and let it teach you. And that was a bigger lesson. Like stop trying to make it all happen as quick as you can. Like it will happen by itself. Mm -hmm. Why don't you just watch it instead of controlling it? Mm. So that was a big lesson. Um, And understanding the nitrogen cycle, but watching what what evolved. And you, you couldn't always know what was going to happen. I remember one time... I found some eggs on a cherry tomato and I picked the cherry tomato and I put it in a takeaway container and I carried it around with me for weeks waiting for the eggs to hatch. And then one day they started to go black and I thought, oh, no, that's because I've picked the tomato. I've probably killed them. But what I thought was shield bug eggs actually hatched out parasitic wasps. Wow. So... When someone sees something, and yes, I can identify it as shield bug eggs, but I can't guarantee what's going to hatch out. So the beauty of that is instead of the shield bugs all hatching, and there was 90 of them, about 80 were parasitic wasps, which will then go on to parasitise other eggs. Mm -hmm. So you, you now start to get the picture of what is a good bug, but it But the good bugs are also the shield bugs because without them, the parasitic wasp had no host. Yeah, yeah. 
I I know I'm probably the the only person that gets excited to see aphids on on their rose bushes, but I do because following on from that, I get to watch all the good guys that come in. So so far, I know we have ladybirds, we have hoverflies who love eat aphids, the lacewing that I was telling you about earlier mm-hmm. that lay eggs on thin strands, their larvae will um, go out and eat all the aphids. Then we have different wasps. So there's at least one that will lay its egg in an aphid, take over the aphid, and when it hatches out, that's the end of the aphid. And we've got good wasps flying around. Wow, that's really cool. <laughs> it's cool to see all that stuff um, up close. And I remember seeing... Um, these just by chance i was in the in the garden and watching these eggs uh, hatch uh, they had the you know the little stink bugs in them yes and i saw one i was like what's going on with this and i started to watch it and i'm like it's hatching and then it was just sitting there waiting putting everything aside that i was going to do and just sit there in awe to watch i think it was about eight of them that all hatched at once well like like within you know a couple minutes of each other and it was amazing to see that that process of that and i think it's such a uh, a gift to be able to 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 watch that um to take the time to to watch what's going on and understand it like you said Faye, you said a few times uh learning from nature and learning um letting nature be our teacher there's there's so much value in that absolutely yeah Yeah. so it started for me it started with a little pocket camera um and I started wanting to know more about what was going on in our property and I actually was lucky enough to get a list from the airport from the environmental officer so a flora and fauna survey of all the expected species that would be here so I managed to tick that off Uh, and birds, reptiles, all sorts of things. And at that time, I invested in an SLR camera because for the things that move, you try and take a photo with a pocket camera and there's a delay. Mm -hmm. So I found that very frustrating. So I upgraded to the SLR camera and then I found it didn't have the the capacity to take my close-up photos Mm -hmm. I felt like my hands were tied so within (laughs) the week of getting this new camera I had to have a macro lens and that macro lens is my favorite I just I love taking photos and I love viewing them later and then posting them up onto Facebook and sharing them with people and you know it's really interesting when I was at Backyard Aquaponics I took a photo of a ladybird it was on a cucumber plant and it was resting on what was like a cocoon and I didn't understand what I had at the time. So for about eight years, this photo has been archived away and recently I discovered there is a, a wasp that takes over the mind of a ladybird and it controls this ladybird so that it sits on the cocoon and looks after that cocoon until that wasp hatches. No way. And the ladybird remains alive. It may or may not survive after that. But it was about eight That's years, so Ben, before I found out the rest to that story. Yeah. That's just one amazing thing. And it's so exciting. It's like you've got all these dots and then when you can join all the dots, you have the big picture and 
Yeah. yeah. And then that's only the tip of the iceberg because we never stop learning. That's right. And it's great to see, like, you, you want to share this. You do lots of talks. Um, and also you have a Facebook page. You want to just share what your Facebook page well, is? Well, I do have a Facebook page called Botanic Obsession. And I had to start that one because my friends were getting sick of all my garden photos. But probably the people that joined up to that page 800 people ago um, are probably now getting sick of bug photos. <laughs> <laughs> but I did have to start another couple of pages, one insects of Perth and southwest Western Australia, particularly for insects, and then one specially for native bees of Western Australia because a couple of years ago when I started trying to learn about native bees, there wasn't a lot of information and there's still not specific to WA. So there's only two bee researchers in Australia, interesting right, enough. okay. So the idea was that people could actually post their photos. Well, certainly I could register all my photos there and we would be able to get a picture of what bees were in Western Australia because they don't all look like bees. Yeah, yep. And that's what I love about social media is the fact that you can combine forces with all these other people um, discovering, um, doing this sort of like citizen science, you know, and really uh, doing this research that's actually uh, really valuable. And so you've got these three Facebook pages. I'll, I'll put the links in the show notes as well. Um, but these are sort of like your ways of connecting with people and sharing absolutely. What you're learning. And another another good tip is the Pest Guide Reporter app. Have you got it on your no, phone? No, I don't. Oh, Ben, this is a must-have. It's put out by the Ag Department. It's called the Pest Guide Reporter app. It is so easy to use. Um, they probably get sick of me, <laughs> but um, it once you've got it on your phone, you take photos of a well, they're probably four pests in the agricultural sector, but any bug really, take photos up to four, send them in, they will identify them and also tell you how to control them if they're a problem. Right. Very easy to use. And it's all in the name of citizen science. Oh, fantastic. So that's a great one for WA. But if you're a bit more sciencey, the one that I ended up having to get onto and get a handle on was Bowerbird. Bowerbird. Bowerbird is a site, um, bowerbird.org.au, and it's for people all over Australia. So the information and photos that go up there get uploaded to a national database. So this is real citizen science, and you'll get an ID on whatever photos you put up there, whether it's bees or insects, wasps. There are all sorts of groups you can join, fungi, birds, flowers, you name it, it's Australia-wide. Wow, that sounds really exciting. I'm definitely going to get on that. So bowerbird.org.au. Yes. Fantastic. Did you have anywhere that you sort of, you know, I didn't give you much time to uh, prepare for this, but anywhere that you wanted to focus on, like what you're excited about at the moment or what you're, um, you're interested in, what you're researching, any projects that you got going on? I always have projects going on. I just, I love travelling. I love variety. So 
I just want to be out in my garden. I want to keep learning. Photography is something I'm trying to get better at. You saw my back shed. There's lots of projects in there waiting to happen. Um, But I am getting asked more and more to do talks for different groups and I always like to say yes if I've got the time. On the weekend we did an activity with a wildflower group showing children how to make a bug hotel or a bee hotel and we just used leftover large coffee cans that I painted a goldy yellow and the children wrapped insulation tape around it so it looked like a bee. They decorated one end to make a face and in the other end that was open, they put things like bamboo, pithy stems of hydrangeas or buddleias or grapevine and also drilled tree branches. So the holes I put in those were four, seven and 11 mils. It's easy to remember because there was a perfume that used to be called four, seven, 11. Right. But that gives you an idea of the range of holes. And the children can monitor these yeah. when the bees yep. start getting active in the warmer weather and they can look at who lives where. And you can tell by what the nests have been sealed with as to who made them. So if people find that, they can take photos and, and go to the Native Bees of Western Australia Facebook page and I can give them more information. Oh, that's great. Yeah, you were showing me that uh, bug hotel out the back which had all sorts of different things that were either in there or had um, hatched out of there and, and moved on. And I thought that was a great idea to do with my son who's three years old, you know. Um, you know I let him use the drill and with me holding it. But... Um, you know, just just get them get them um, excited about that, and I'm getting excited about that doing that. Ben, that is a precious thing um, because you've just triggered a memory, and memories are so important when, well, just in life. You know, I grew up building cubby houses at school before the school day started, and and this was at Star Swamp where I went back to yesterday after like 45 years. So memories are a really key thing, but. When I was young, my dad taught us a lot of things and it's only really now that he's gone, as I look back through photos, I start to really understand what makes me who I am today. And I've sat around the table with girlfriends whose husband wouldn't let them paint walls in the house and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I found a photo of my sister and I painting our cubby house when we were about four or five years old. You know, we... We grew up not knowing we couldn't do anything. We just always did. We mm. we hammered and we drilled. Dad was a builder. We built brick walls. We rendered and, you know, made mortar. So these things that parents do with children are really important. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if they do it well or not. It's putting it out there that they can do things. And like I said, my sister and I grew up not thinking we couldn't do anything. And we don't have fear. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not, yeah. there's no fear of snakes. I never was worried about snakes in the bush building cubby houses. We never saw one. So, yeah, there's there's a lot about memories and parents have got the opportunity to, to put real things in kids' hands. They don't always need plastic toys. A child's hammer and a nail... You know, it's a great lesson and a yeah. great memory to yep. have. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're trying to cultivate well, with with our son and our daughter when she gets old enough. But, you know, my son loves to help me in the garden and he, he wants his own tools. So 
we bought him a you know shovel and rake and um and broom so that he can actually help me and I'll give him a little pile of leaves to rake up. And you know what? He won't see that as work. No, I never not at did. All. You know, people come to our garden and see how big it is and, and they say, Oh, that must be a lot of work. It's not work. I just I love it. And moving piles of leaves and well, I think twice about that now because I know things <laughs> live there. So I'm a bit more careful about what I do with my leaves. Mm-hmm. But that's that's really great to um, hear your hear your story of how you remember that, how you remember growing up, not being afraid to give something a try. And I've only just realised that it's only been in recent times that I became aware of that because our upbringing was pretty good. We travelled a lot. We went to Port Hedland fifty years ago. The roads were not sealed. We were in a a station wagon towing a little caravan. Um, I think my sister was in nappies. I mean, that was was a bit of a challenge. But we went to places like Millstream and Karajini and Whitnoom Gorge. Wow, it sounds like an adventure. Yes, and I want to get back there. We live in a wonderful place and, yeah, I can't wait to get back there next year and... Now that I've travelled overseas, I've really started to appreciate a lot more about what we've got here. We live in a wonderful place. Mm-hmm. WA is really diverse in um, fauna and flora, aren't we? I think we have to be really careful um, to try and save it. I, I'm hoping that some of the work I do getting through to children, because the children that grow up now they're going to be the ones making decisions Mm -hmm. and there's a lot happening out there. We're losing a lot. I think we took it for granted because it was always there and it's it's not everywhere now. Everyone doesn't have a patch of bush at the end of their road or a spare block next door. Mm -hmm. So what was, you know, just a day activity, walking or playing in the bush, they have to work at it a bit harder now. You have to go and find those places. So how, how could we apply um, some of these things in our everyday lives? Like there's the bee hotels and um, I'll share that picture that I, that I took. In fact, I'll get the one of the, the ones that you made that looks like a bee. But some of the other things that we can do um, so that we can implement these in our everyday lives. Well, you mentioned Facebook and that's a great, great place for learning. If, if anybody wants to ask questions or have me at a, a group to talk, I'm more than happy to do that. There's a lot of other people doing it too. So groups like the Wildflower Society, there are nature groups, naturalist groups. Mm-hmm. They, these people are working at this all the time. Um, there's lots of talks you can go to. Oh, what else? There's blogs and articles and more Facebook. There's, yeah. a, there's a lot of groups for Facebook. Lots of community, isn't there? Mm, yeah. There is lots of people sharing wonderful information. So mm-hmm. ask. Go yeah. seek and you shall find. Yeah. There you go. And um, maybe you could just give us a bit of wisdom about... Uh, <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> you try. Uh, so, so you're talking about giving stuff a try. And I just wanted to come back to that because I think that's really important. Um, people... Um, I know from my family, we we always were taught that there's things 
that we shouldn't just try that or we shouldn't give it a go, you know, because something bad might happen. What's, what, how could you encapsulate what you learned as a kid and that you could share with someone? Like if I was going to share that with my, my kids, what would I say or do? Mm, that's, that's interesting. And I suppose it depends in what context we're looking at. I mean, people have to be safe, so you don't try anything that's going to be harmful. You certainly don't go and try a, a fungi or a mushroom when you don't know what it is. That can be really uh, fatal. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a good, a good tip about that. If you're going to try fungi and you don't know what it is, leave a piece by the bedside table so the coroner can identify it. <laughs> But oh, my, my warning on that is if you have to ask someone else what it is and you don't know, then you should not eat it. Yeah. It's, yep. It is not worth the risk. No. Um, there are things that, that can be dangerous. Um, so parents and people that are caring for young children need to be mindful of that. In that regard, you know, there's a lot of toxic plants out there. Oleander can cause problems. So mm. can grevilleas. For that matter, rhubarb and tomato leaves are toxic as well. Mm-hmm. So teaching your kids but in a safe way about things, educating mm. them, um, and that's that's how we learn. Mm. Yeah, very interesting because I'm, I'm actually thinking about all the things that I can – teach my son and obviously you know I'm a younger parent and 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 want to like teach them everything that they can do everything but um yeah distilling it down to some real um sort of either sayings or ideas I don't really know how to do that yet all right well I think one of the things is lead by example Mm -hmm. because they watch what you do so you just have to do the best that you can to be the best example you can. Mm-hmm. But thinking about the activities that that don't involve shop, you know, everything involves a trip to the shop, you know, looking in your own backyard, mm. uh, tree trunks and branches, um, offcuts of wood, the drill, the hammer, the nails, you know, you can... You can have a lot of fun with yeah, that. It teaches yeah. them building. It teaches them oh, recycling and repurposing. I mean, you know, that wasn't a buzz thing until a few years ago. But, you know, I think I've been doing it forever. Yeah. And I, I look at everything I do and I don't want to throw it in the rubbish bin. It's like the coffee tins. I had 15 coffee tins in the back shed. Admittedly, a neighbour had given me some. But... They sat there for quite a while before the idea came about this is what we're going to make bee hotels from. Mm-hmm. So I, I have a lot of stuff in the shed, but go to Pinterest for ideas on repurposing and reuse what you've got. Think about your waste. Um, last year I started looking at, at waste from the point of view of orange skins and the centre of the toilet roll. And I came up with a a couple of solutions. You can dry out your orange skins and then use them as fire lighters because they've got oil in them and they make the house smell nice. You can also make a cleaning fluid out of them by pouring vinegar over them and letting it sit. The lint, if you use a dryer, lint from the filter is great stuffed into a toilet roll centre, great as a fire starter. 
Because okay, a lot yeah. of cardboard and newspaper now is treated so it doesn't light easily. Yeah, yeah. But so that you, lint does. It does, yeah. yes. There's all these things that we can reuse and, and yeah. repurpose. I, I love that, um, Faye, that, it, that you're talking about this because really that comes back to um, how can we create a life that's, that, um, that's creating life rather than taking away from life. Well, there's a few examples of things out in my garden you might have seen, Ben. Uh, the old ladder with some planks across it to make a, a different type of stand. Yeah. Uh, yep. A broken pot turned into a fairy garden that's got little succulents planted into it and little steps from broken pieces of terracotta. Like, yeah. it's fun. Mm-hmm. It's fun to do it. It is fun and, it's, and it lets you get out those creative juices, doesn't it? That's what I notice all around your garden is all this creativity. You're just brimming with creativity. You need to let it out somewhere. Oh, well, one of the things that I, I made a few years ago was a plant stand with different size logs. And that was you get a chainsaw and you cut these different logs and you can make a tiered plant stand and then you can put pots of succulents or orchids or whatever over it. As the timber ages, you can get fungi growing on it and moss and it just looks very aged. Or you can even go to the trouble of whipping up some yoghurt and painting that on and that will encourage the moss to grow oh, quicker. Okay, yoghurt on the, on the wood will actually yes. create or um, encourage moss to grow on there. Yes, Okay. So do you know how that works? How does the yogurt... Um, oh, I, d- I can't remember, but I also saw a funny recipe where they'd used cement in the mix and moss and they blended it all up and painted it on a surface and it all started growing. It was like a milkshake. Wow. Mm. Okay. See, I love that. To me, again, that's like creating life. It's like us being a good influence on our environment, being, yep. you know, um, putting life out there around the place. And that's what I love about your place. So um, I was going to ask you too about aquaponics a bit because you did work there for, for quite a while. And I think one thing that really got me interested in microbes was learning about aquaponics. And it's not just about the fish or the plants, is it? It's about the microbes um, can you share it with us a little bit about that? Because that's something that I'm really interested in as well. Oh, I'm, I might be a bit rusty now, Ben, because it's been a couple of years. But that was the thing about starting off a system. And when whenever we set up a system, we would set it all up and get the water flowing through, making sure that the water was below the level of the expanded clay. Because if you had water pooling on the top, you end up growing moss Mm -hmm. because algae and moss will grow in water sitting on the surface. So what we had was a flood and drain system. And we generally planted the plants first and added fish any time after that. And it's quite interesting when I hear people say, you know, they needed to add this water ager or something to take the chlorine out because even if you're using scheme water, chlorine off gases in 24 hours. Mm -hmm. So there's no need to add anything to condition the water. Right, yep, okay. But the other thing that we might do is add water from an existing system because that would help kickstart the bacteria. Mm -hmm. So there's good bacteria that, that are at work in an aquaponic system. And you know what? It occurs naturally. 
in air, soil and water. It's all around. It's not yeah. that magic. And it comes all by itself. Yeah. But once you add the fish and the fish start to create waste, then that waste is converted into nutrients that are available to the plants. Mm-hmm. And so we would feed very minimally until the system got cycled and then we would start to increase the feed. And I know trout were one of the funnest fish to to grow because in this sort of weather when the nights might be zero degrees, it was a good reason to get out of bed in the morning yeah. because the trout would be ready for food. Yep. As soon as the sun comes up, if pellets or anything hit the water, they were jumping. They were just great. You could feed them five times a day. Yeah. And, you know, when I would come home from work and I would shut my car door, the water surface would be bubbling because they'd know I'm home and they'd be ready for a feed again. But we got fantastic growth rates through winter mm-hmm. when often people think that things are slowing down. I don't know why they think that because there's so much happening out there. Um, both in winter veggie gardens and in the native bush, you just have to look for it. That's right, being observant. And and that's what I've loved about my aquaponic system too. I'm always seeing something happen in there. And I learned to look. um, Once again, people would be in a hurry to see things happen, but you could tell by the fish if they were happy Mm -hmm. um, and you could see signs if they weren't. And one of the things that used to perk them up a bit if they were a bit off for no real reason was the addition of salt to the system. And really? in, okay. in low levels, it did help perk them up um, and it did help them overcome, you know, any stress as well. But most of the plants also would tolerate low levels of salt. Mm-hmm. So that was quite interesting. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. interesting that you say that, Faye, because I was, I've been reading about... Um, and learning about um, making different preparations for the Korean natural farming um, and the J- the Jadam um, farming, which comes from um, Korean natural farming, but they use um, sea salt or sea water in some of their preparations because it's the minerals in there um, that that give some of the food for the uh, the bacteria to start growing on this. On these different things, so it's it's all that sort of uh, mineral nutrients in there. So that's I've, I actually added some uh, sea salt to my uh, bioponic system to see if it would do anything. I'm not sure if it has done anything or not, but well, I think salt's very important, and it's been given a bad rap in the last few years. But I know my nana lived to 104, and tell you what, she didn't have very good eyesight, and how much salt she put on her <laughs> meal you know, would have doctors questioning. Yeah. But, she, yeah, she did very well. So salt was not a problem for her. Yeah, probably more the processed foods that we eat these days. Oh, let's yeah. not even start on yeah. that. <laughs> and you, so you were doing some teaching at TAFE as well, is that right? Yes, yes. What, what were you teaching about? Well, there was garden design. Uh, there was introduction to um, gardening, plant ID, a uh, bit of botany, um, I had some students that were there, um, they were school students that used to come on a Friday afternoon and one of our projects was tackling the, the water feature area 
which was like a tropical garden and going in there and cleaning that up. And a lot of the TAFE lecturers that saw that when it was finished were amazed at how that had been brought to life. But what we also saw down there was a day when the dragonflies were hatching out of the algae-ridden ponds. Oh, wow. And it was yeah. just mesmerising. We were all late for lunch that day. Um, what else did I teach? Also pests and disease. So that was that was probably when I started to realise that everything had a good side, you know, yeah. good bad bugs, bad bugs. Even the bad bugs are part of the food chain or the ecosystem, the life cycle. Like you can't negate anything. You you wonder why you don't have ladybirds in your garden? Oh, because you sprayed chemicals to kill all your aphids. Hello. I mean, people want ladybirds and butterflies. Butterflies come from caterpillars. So, you know. Everything's part of that cycle, part of the system and and creating that life like I've seen in your garden, just creating space for things to thrive. Respecting it, appreciating it, uh, encouraging it. A recent talk I did was called Eat, Pray, Love, and the prey was P-R-E-Y, and, of course, it was about predators. And I had some really great photos. One was a praying mantis eating a grasshopper. And I thought, gee, this really depicts it but I don't think I'm going to win people over with that graphic demonstration as the first slide. So I started with the warm and fuzzy, you know, the post of uh, good bugs, the butterflies and the ladybirds, and I I started to weave the story about what they need or what they start off as because the the ladybird, like I said, needs aphids for food Mm -hmm. and the butterfly, of course, is a caterpillar, which people want to get rid of. But... Once we got through and they started to to understand the balance and how we could bring them in, they were really, really understanding. And I think everybody in that audience will think twice about getting out their bug spray next time. That's great. <laughs> that sounds like you've uh, you've uh, inspired some people and, and changed some people's outlooks. Mm. That's great. Well, um, Faye, I just want to thank you for your time. And uh, before we end, is there any other things that you would you want to share uh, or? Uh, in, inspire people to do? Have a look in your sheds. Have a look in your cupboards. Look at what you can repurpose. Go online and look for some inspiration and share what you've done. If you've done something yourself, share it to inspire other people because that is one of the beautiful things of the internet today. People don't have to leave home to share ideas and to inspire mm-hmm. each other. And sometimes I know... We can all, you know, be down in the doldrums a little bit and you wake up and you don't feel like doing anything. I tell you what, you set yourself a little project like clearing the entrance to the front door and you start sweeping away the cobwebs. Well, not too many because that's what the (laughs) willy wagtails use to make their nest. But you, you start sweeping and cleaning and then you think about what pot you can get and add some potted colour to it and... Make it inviting and I can almost guarantee that when you've done that one little project, then you are, you inspire yourself to do the next little bit. So just starting with small things mm-hmm. makes a big difference. Yeah, one thing at a time. Mm. That's great. And do you want to just share with us your uh, Facebook or uh, any any uh, ways that you would you, you'd like to be contacted or connect with people? Just my name, Faye Arcaro Facebook. If you want to be my friend, let me know who you are. 
Um, the Botanic Obsession page, anybody can go there. And that generally has what's coming up on the weekly uh, gardening program on Saturdays, Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Uh, so the Botanic Obsession page will have what's happening in my garden and events or places that I might be talking at and what, generally what's happening around the place. Fantastic. So thanks, Ben, for the opportunity. It's been great and effortless talking to you. Thank you so much for your time and uh, thanks for being our first, my first guest on the podcast. My pleasure. There you go. There is the first interview. Well, what did you think? I'd love to get some feedback, so connect in with me. And uh, until next time, cheers. Thank you for listening to The Probiotic Life. You can find us on Facebook at The Probiotic Life, on Instagram, The Probiotic Life, and on our website, theprobiotic.life. 